pastors here. Welcome to Hillcrest. Glad that you're here this morning. If you're watching online, thanks for joining us this morning. We're going to start today just by taking some time to reflect before God uh, some of the things going on in our world today, some of the challenges that we're hearing in the news. And I thought maybe we would just start this morning just by sitting with our Creator and uh, holding those things up to Him. There's two things particularly on my heart this morning. Uh, one is Afghanistan. Uh, since the switch in government there last fall, it's just continued to deteriorate, and uh, there are people who are not able to find food. There are, are women and girls who are losing their ability to go to school and losing their freedoms. We just need to pray that God would move in that country. And I'd also like to take some time to lift up the uh, to lift up Ukraine. Uh, the news this week has kind of been a roller coaster of hopeful signs and then really tragic scenes. Um, pictures of soldiers' bodies left in the fields, uh, houses destroyed. I saw a video of a, a grandmother who was just weeping because she's so afraid that bombs are going to fall on her town. And uh, we just, we need to pray. We need to sit before the Lord and ask him to, to do something new, to move in a new way. So I'd like to take just a few minutes for us to sit together before God in these realities. Um, maybe to sit in silence. Uh, some of you may want to pray. Some of you may just want to listen for what God has to say to us. Um, but let's just take a few moments and, uh, and talk to God. Can we do that? Will you bow your heads with me? Hear these words from Psalm 9. The Lord rules forever. He has set up his throne so that he can judge people. He will judge the world in keeping with what is right. He will rule over all its people fairly. The Lord is a place of safety for those who have been beaten down. He keeps them safe in times of trouble. Those who are in need will always be remembered. The hope of those who are hurting will never die. Lord, rise up. Don't let people win the battle. Let the nations come to you and be judged. Lord, strike them with terror. Let the nations know they are only human. When things are challenging in our lives, when we see our world suffering, first thing we need to do is go to God and talk with him. Just open our hearts to him. Express our, our hurt, our our desire for answers, whatever it is, to just lift that up to him and talk with him about it. That's the first thing we need to do. And then God invites us to join him in the work that he's doing to bring relief and to bring hope and to bring help. So you see on the screen here, our, our denomination has a way of responding to what's happening in the Ukraine and other areas of the world where refugees are escaping and 
Um, there's funds that are established and people on the ground making a difference, bringing food and shelter and, and bringing hope. And so uh, one way we can respond is by giving. So I just want to encourage you to consider that. You can just take a picture of that QR code or find it on um, the Bible app this morning that has our service on there as well. It's, it's important that we respond. Thanks for just taking a moment to sit with me this morning as we start this time together. These realities of our world are, are heavy. They can feel difficult for us. Um, why isn't God changing the story? Why is it sometimes that he seems to be silent? And uh, whenever I start to ask those questions or feel that way, Scripture reminds me of a, a couple things. Uh, first, when I'm starting to think, why, why aren't you changing the story, God? Scripture reminds me that he is changing the story. That God is working every day, right now, bringing life, bringing hope because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Right now, today, people's lives are being transformed. People are finding forgiveness and new life. And as they are changed, they're going to change their families. As their families are changed, their cities will change and the world will be changed. You might not be feeling or seeing the movement of God in your small sphere of life this morning, but the Spirit is, has not slowed down. And lives in every corner of the world are being caught up in the glory of this new life that we are created for. It's happening right now. Right now, he's changing the story. And the second thing that I'm reminded of is when God seems to be silent, um, I go, my mind goes to what Peter wrote to his friends in his second letter to them. In the Bible, he wrote, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And what Peter's talking about there is that when God deals with the evil in this world, when he brings justice, it's not going to be a narrow, kind of focused, singular movement that might affect a few people here and there. He will completely wipe evil, evil from the face of the earth. It will be total and final and earth-shaking. Earth God is waiting so that more might be able to come into relationship with him. So don't take his slowness as silence, because God is working and he is waiting. His grace is holding back uh, his judgment. Because when he comes to judge the evil of this world, he's going to take care of it. He's going to root it out and change. He's going to deal with the evil in my life, the evil in your life, the evil in our world. It's his grace that's holding that back right now. And so we need to receive that. We need his comfort. We need to know that he is aware and working in the world, even when we can't see it. And the story we're going to look at this morning, the text we're going to go to, Jesus is talking to his friends and he's saying to them that God is a God of comfort, that I want to comfort you, that he's trying to bring assurance to them. So if you've got your Bible with you, if you could open up to John 14, we're going to look at this passage where Jesus is talking with his disciples and, and, and talking about a hope that they have, even in the midst of the unknown. John 14, verse 1. And uh, John, as he writes Jesus' story here, his biography of Jesus is a little different from the other ones that we find in the New Testament. John, from chapter 13 through 17, focuses in on just that last night when Jesus sat with his disciples and the kinds of things that he prayed for them, the things that he said to them, the things that he did. And uh, the other gospels don't focus in quite so much time. They don't give as much space to this time with, with his disciples at the Passover meal. So John 14, we're going to look at verse 1. So you can follow along while I read. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me also. There are many rooms in my father's house. If this were not true, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and do that, I will come back. I will take you to be with me. Then you will also be where I am. Now, you might notice this little section has a, a title over it if you're looking at your Bible there. Jesus comforts his disciples. 
Jesus comforts them. And he starts doing that by saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. And so then you ask the question, well, why would their hearts be troubled? What was going on? Why would they be upset? You can look back over chapter 13 to get some ideas. Jesus had been traveling for three years Uh, teaching in powerful ways, doing things that only God can do. And there's this growing expectation that Jesus was going to turn the tables on the Roman Empire, that he was going to be this leader the Jewish people were looking for to bring them back into a place of power and independence, that he was going to be a strong leader. And in John 13, as they gather together, he sits down with his staff team, his, his disciples. And the first thing he does is he gets up and puts a towel around his waist and he begins to wash their feet begins to wash their feet. This is such a subservient act. It's so low for the trending rabbi in in Jerusalem at that time that his followers don't know what to do with it. They're embarrassed by it. uh, It feels awkward. They fidget uncomfortably. Some even recoil as he tries to wash their feet because this is not the role of the leader. And uh, it's interesting because just before this, they were arguing about who was going to be the most powerful, the second in command in Jesus's empire. And then he gets down and starts to wash their feet. And then he stands up and he starts to talk to them and he says, one of you is going to betray me, turn me over to the authorities. Then he looks at Peter, one of the main leaders of the group, and he says, I know you're a leader, but you're going to deny me. You're going to deny even knowing me three times. And all the rest of you, you're all going to desert me and run off. And he said, "In, in just a little while, I'm actually going to be leaving and you're not going to see me any longer. So they were troubled in their spirits. They didn't understand. They were confused by what Jesus was saying. Because he was throwing all this at them at once. And they're like, I don't, we're washing my feet. We're going to, you're going to take off. What's going on? And they're troubled in their spirits. Have you ever been troubled in your spirit? Have you ever faced these kinds of days when you walk in confident and ready and balanced, but at the end of the day, you're shaking and, and caught off guard and falling over? Have you ever wanted the comfort to know everything's going to be okay? When, when we have tough days, we tend to comfort ourselves in sometimes ways that aren't all that helpful. You know, we look for like short-term comfort things like buying a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts or something like that, or, and then going out and buying a Peloton, you know, and then, um, you know, doing crazy things, getting bangs or getting a binge weekend or something like that. We, we choose these unwise ways to ease our pain. No one likes to hurt, so we find ways to get past it or over it. We consume, we hide out, we pull away from friends, we go inward, we, we self-medicate, and Jesus says... Place your trust in me. I'm I'm with you. I have a place for you. I am your peace. Don't be anxious. Don't let your hearts be troubled. That's why Jesus says these words here to comfort his friends that he just unloaded all this stuff on them. And he says, hey, you can trust me. You can trust God. I'm going away, but I'm going to bring you to where I am. And he talks about this place being prepared for them. And in the Greek language, we have all these English words trying to capture what the Greek language says here. So different translations use different words. So some will say uh, many rooms or, or spare rooms or many dwellings. And some of the older versions like the King James or the American Standard will even say many mansions. So it's like, okay, do I want a spare room or do I want many mansions? You know, it's like they're just trying to capture this idea that Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. There's going to be a place where you belong, where you are understood, where you can just be with your creator God and with all those that are part of his community, all of his kids. Jesus is making a place where you can belong along with all these others that belong. And for the first century mind, that would make sense in a different way because when a young man would 
become engaged to a woman, he would go to his father's house and build a little side room onto his father's house for his soon-to-be family. So he would get engaged, and there'd be a year period where he would be preparing for the wedding and to bring her home, and then that wedding day would happen, and and he would bring her to this new little side room on his parents' house. So mom and dad would welcome in the new daughter-in-law. And so if there was a dad who had many sons, he, he knew his little house would become a compound someday as they continued to add rooms onto it. So that was this patriarchal culture where a man would create a place for this, his woman or his wife. And, and Jesus borrows this language and he talks about a father's house for all of us, for all men and women who are invited to find our place and community with him. And the same imagery for home is found at the end of the passage, end of uh, chapter 14, where Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey me. My father will love them and will, we will come to them and make our home with them. Jesus and the Father God making their home with us, the Spirit of God. God will be with us. That, that connection, that place, that relationship, it makes all the difference. When you are troubled, when you need comfort, you can find hope with Christ, with Jesus. You can find a home and a place with him, a place where you belong. Let's go back to John 14 here. Look at verse 4. Jesus continuing to talk to his disciples here. He says, you know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. He says, I'm going to bring you to where I'm going. You, you know where I'm going, right? And Thomas gives this great answer. I, I really like Thomas. He just sort of speaks his truth no matter what's going on around him. Not too long before this, Thomas and Jesus and the other disciples were hiding out in Galilee. They'd been in Judea, and there were people there that wanted to kill Jesus. So they went to Galilee for safety. But they were only there a few days, and Jesus said, hey, let's go back and see our friends in, in Judea. And his disciples kind of do a double take and like, wait, they want to kill you there, Jesus. We're not going to go back. They're trying to end your life. But Jesus will not be talked out of it. So eventually Thomas says, hey guys, look, let's just go and die with Jesus. Just go, let's go die. That's how Thomas kind of categorizes things. So he says, we don't know where you're going, Jesus. How could we know the way to get there? We don't even know where you're taking us. We like to know where, where people are. When my kids, I've, I've taught my kids to drive now. And uh, so I've got two older ones driving for a long time. One who just learned a few months ago. But when my older ones were at home, I would come back from work after the day and no one would be at the house. And I'd wonder, you know, where are they? Because they had their license. They could go out and go wherever they wanted to go. So I would send out a text to kind of an all call. Just like, hey, how are you doing? Where are you at? And I would, uh, I would text uh, five letters. W-U-R space U space B. Where you be? That was my little <laughs> call. Like, let me know you're alive. Where you be? I wouldn't type out the whole, like, please let me know your destination when you have a moment. You know, it's just my little all call. And sometimes I'd get a reply. A lot of times I was ignored. You ever get that little three dots that show up on your text app? You know, someone's thinking about saying something and then disappears and nothing comes through. Yeah, parents love it when you do that. So that, I would get that. We want to know where our people are. We want to know where our friends, our family, that, we, that they're safe, that they're accounted for. We want to know where they're going. We want to know where we are, right? We want to know where we're going, where we're heading, the direction of our lives. Most of us aren't big fans of surprises or unknown life potholes, sucker punches, unexpected slaps that come out of nowhere. We don't, we don't enjoy that. 
Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. How are we supposed to know the way? And Jesus says, Thomas, I am the way. I am the direction. I am the destination. I am your location today. I'll be your location in the future. And all the unknowns of life, all the overwhelming times with all the options and all the losses, Jesus says, I am the pathway of truth. I am the way of life. Keep walking with me. I am, with, I am the truth, the life. I am the way, Thomas. Some of you are familiar with my story. Some of you know that there was a season in my life when I was overwhelmed with loss. I was in unknown territory. My marriage of 20 years ended suddenly, and I was left parenting my three kids all by myself. And the story I was writing was this idea of a lifelong marriage. Two parents consistently pouring into their children, growing old together, unbroken trust, That was the story I was writing, and that story died. It just took a surprising turn. So the summer of 2015 found me parenting alone, sleeping in an empty bed, brokenhearted, full of fear and anxious thoughts. And God carried our family through that time. And the church we were a part of came around us and supported us. But even with that, I still felt totally lost and abandoned And I I didn't know the way forward. I didn't know how I was going to survive. And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the pathway of life. He was with me every day during that terrible season. He carried me. What looked like a dead end was not. What appeared to be a flood that was going to drown me actually became God's grace, lifting me above the crushing waters. And I didn't see it every day. It wasn't blinding, you know, the light of God in my life wasn't blind. There were dark moments, there were hard weekends, but I saw enough of his way to hold on and to make it through that storm, to survive and make it through and to find this new story that God's writing for me. And it's a good story. And some of you might be facing a flood like that. Some of you might be in a flood like that. You might be facing a diagnosis that you've heard about in someone else's life, but you didn't know it was going to take up space in your story. You might be experiencing the death of a relationship that you were trusting to hold on through all the years, and now it's over. You might have a friend who is facing an eviction or a, a child who's grown up distant or disinterested in, in a faith that you thought would help guide them through their, their lives. You may have a parent that no longer recognizes you. You, you might be in a storm, in a flood. The life you were walking, the story you were writing, the way you were moving was ripped out from underneath you and you're just looking for a map. You're like searching the horizon for some street signs to point you in the right direction. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the map. I'm the sign that you're looking for. I've not left you. I've not abandoned you. I am with you. And there is a place for you where you belong, where you are with me. Jesus says, I am the way. He is making his home with us. He's inviting us to trust him, even in the storms, even in the floods. You might know this, that the early Christians, before they were called Christians, they were called followers of the way. They were a subset of Judaism, a sect broken off from the Jewish faith as they were beginning. And in Acts 9, we see this idea of them being called the way showing up as Saul is pursuing them. Acts 9, verse 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. 
He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So this name, this, this way, is connected to the Jewish understanding of walking with God through life. Stepping where God would have you step. Following uh, the Torah and the Talmud, the, the Old Testament law and the teachings of the rabbis. Uh, allowing that to inform your life and keeping you on the right path of life. It might be connected to the statement that Jesus said when he said, I am the way. Maybe that's why they were called the way. But for the Jewish people, there's this connection throughout the Old Testament of walking step-by-step step with God in the pathway that he lays out for us. So in Psalm 86, David writes, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. And in the Old Testament, we see the prophet Isaiah writing to the people, trying to comfort them in the midst of what they were going through. And he wrote these words, Comfort my people, says your God. A messenger is calling out in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make a straight road through it for our God. Every valley will be filled in. Every mountain and hill will be made level. The rough ground will be smoothed out. The rocky places will be made flat. Then the glory of the Lord will appear and everyone will see it. Isaiah wanted to remind the people, God is coming. They were waiting for him to arrive and they were expecting him to arrive and bring his presence and bring his blessing. And for the people living in a rocky terrain where pathways traveled through steep canyons and, and dangerous places, this language of level ground, smooth and flat for us to travel on, that was inviting, that was comforting. I think they would have liked Kansas, you know, <laughs> flat places. The way of God meant safety and security in the midst of life's challenges. So the early Christians were known as followers of the way. Those who walked in safe places and flat areas. They believed they had found a connection with God that brought hope and strength. A way that was safe in the storms. And it showed up in some of their imagery as early Christians that they would carve into rocks and catacombs underneath Rome. Here's a picture of one in the catacombs of St. Sebastian. One of the oldest places of worship for the Christian church. It dates back to 150 AD. So just 100 years after Jesus sat with these friends at the Passover, people would hide out underneath Rome so they wouldn't be persecuted and they would worship there and they would carve in the sides of the rock there. And you can see some symbols in this carving. There's a fish in the middle connected to when Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. That became a symbol for the, the people of the way. And on the right side is a P with an X through it. Those are the Greek letters for uh, Christ, Jesus. And then on the left side, you can see an anchor there. On the left side of the rock, this was an image for them that talked about the idea of being a secure place, that you are safe and secure, that God is your anchor. And we see it in Hebrews chapter 6. The writer says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. That this way that Jesus created, Jesus is the way, and the way he created is secure for us. It comforts us. It holds us in the midst of the storms of life. It's a hope that we have because Jesus lived and died and lived again He's created something new for us. It's a hope that we have a home with him, a place where we belong. No matter what is happening in our, our everyday lives, no matter what storms or floods are coming at us, the emotions, the unknowns, all the questions that we ask about what God is doing, all these challenges surrounding us, swelling around us like floodwaters, we have an anchor that we hold on to, an anchor for our soul that keeps us secure and safe. Jesus is the way, truth, and the life. Jesus is the good shepherd that leads us into wide open spaces. 
He is the light that shines in the dark valleys of our lives. Jesus is the bread of life that sustains us and gives us what we need for our souls. So we hold on to that as we look for that way forward. We hold on to to that as we look for a pathway through. And the truth is, is that Jesus holds on to us just as much as we hold on to him, no matter what we encounter. I'm thankful that Jesus is the way. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you for guiding us, for walking with us, for standing alongside us no matter what we face in this life. You are good and faithful and you see all that we go through. Father God, you see the moment we were born, you see the moment that we will die, you see everything in between. It's just laid open before you like an open book. You are not surprised or caught off guard. We thank you that we can trust you, even when we don't understand, even when we're waiting and wondering. Help us to hold on to you. Help us to believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, would you speak to us this morning and remind us of your goodness and your grace. As we now move to this time of communion, of receiving these elements that remind us of the sacrifice you made for us. Help us to hold on to who you are and who you made us to be. Jesus, it's because of you that we can pray. Talk to our Father God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.